you're there, say amen. It says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, 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 thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And then if you'll flip back to the Old Testament to the book of Psalms, chapter 27, I have one verse I want to read there. Psalm 27 and 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When it comes to priorities, Jesus made it very, very clear that there is one thing that's non-negotiable and has to be at the top of our list. What is that one thing? What is that one thing? And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. I'm going to come from the title, Only One Thing. So if you'll pray with me. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your sweet spirit in here. God, I, I pray that your word does the work tonight, God, and that we are changed and transformed as a result of it. Bless each person in the sound of my voice tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you greet one another and then you can have a seat. Amen. A group of uh, friends went deer hunting and paired off in twos for the day. That night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering with an eight-point buck. Where's Harry? He was asked. He said, Harry had a stroke of some kind. He's a couple miles back up the trail. You left Harry lying there and carried the deer back? Well, said the hunter, 
I figured no one was going to steal Harry. <laughs> Choices and priorities. Most of us know what priorities should be. And if we were to take a test about it, most of us would pass. But the real test is what we do under the pressure of our daily lives. Can I get an amen? When we have to choose one thing over another, that's when our real priorities show. Every time I hear this story with Mary and Martha, I have this inner conflict. Because on the one hand, you have Martha, the responsible sister. On the other hand, you have Mary, the young lady, absolutely mesmerized sitting at the feet of Jesus. But I can't help identifying with Martha. Misunderstood, type A, administrative, Martha. I mean, her only fault, it appears, is feeling the responsibility to take care of the things that need to get done. I mean, if you're going to have Jesus over to the house for dinner, someone has to clean the house. Someone has to prepare the food. Someone has to be the good hostess. There are a lot of things that go along with hosting someone as prominent as Jesus. Martha gets that. And there's a part of me that loves Martha for that. There are responsibilities that simply cannot be left undone. There are important things that simply must be accomplished. Type A's, can I get an amen? There we go, Doug. So when I read the story and I get to Jesus' gentle but meaningful rebuke of Martha, there's a part of me that almost feels bad because I'm rooting for her. I understand how tired Martha felt. I know in my heart that Martha would have loved to forget the many things that needed to be done to rest for a moment at the feet of the Master alongside of Mary. But I also know Martha feels responsible for making it all come together. So the, bo the story boils down to a few basic set of facts. Number one, and this is on your worksheet, Martha is troubled about many things. And number two, but Mary is concerned with only one thing. When Jesus rebukes Martha, he's not saying the many things don't matter, but that only one thing is absolutely necessary. The story of Mary and Martha is a story about, on your worksheet, priorities. Martha's problem was not that she was concerned with the many things. Martha's problem was that because of her concern for the many things that needed to be done, she was neglecting the one thing that was the most important. The moral of the story is, 
is that there is, on your worksheet, one thing that we need above everything else. Jesus said only one thing is needed, one essential thing. And in order to uncover what the one thing is, we need to go to the book of Psalms. I found this in Psalms, and I think it uh, nicely begins to unravel what that one thing is. In the book of Psalms, uh, David addresses this very issue. Psalm 27 and 4 says David has one desire, something that had become all-consuming for him. It says, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. In other words, I have one prayer, Lord, one request. It's my single most important goal in life. It's my constant prayer. It's the one thing I desire, and I will seek after it with all that's in me. This one thing consumes me constantly. What is that one thing, David? He tells us in verse 4. It says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The Living Bible says it this way, and I didn't give you this, Sue. The privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence every day of my life, delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. It was in that moment that David saw a need in his soul that was yet unmet. His whole life came down to this one issue, and he cried out to God over it. David said, in effect, there is a way of living that I'm seeking. I want uninterrupted spiritual intimacy with you, God. He knows what he wants, but how does he get there? Lord, I want to have uninterrupted fellowship with you. Please, what must I do to reach my desire? And God answers him in verse 8. He says four simple words on your worksheet. Seek ye my face. Seek ye my face. And how did David respond to this? He replied, Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart leaped in response. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. God tells David, if you want spiritual intimacy with me, then there is only one way you will achieve it. You must seek my face. So what does that mean? Here is where I find, and you will find, the value of a word study in Scripture. Seek ye my face. First, to seek. That's pretty easy, right? Definition of seek means to go after, to pursue, to obtain, or to search. Seek ye my, you know, search after, go after, obtain my. Then we get to face. Now that's a little bit more obscure. The structure of the phrase suggests that the word face is a direct object supporting what we are seeking. In other words, I am seeking what? 
your face. So Jesus tells Martha and us that there is one thing that you must do, one thing that is paramount, one thing that trumps all other things. God reveals to David what the one thing is that must be the priority, seeking his face. We need to pursue, to search, to go after his face. What is that? What is that? So we go to Scripture. Anytime you run into a word like that, go into Scripture, go into your commentaries, find out where is that word used. Because it begins to open up your understanding of what God is saying. Seek ye my face. At the surface, you're going face, okay? But it's more than that. The Hebrew word for face is panim, but it doesn't mean just literally face. It has several meanings. So we find the word first used in Genesis 3, verse 8. After Adam and Eve had sinned, it says in verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the panim, presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So here, that word panim that we use as face means presence. That makes sense because when there's sin, there's separation from the presence of God. Makes sense. Genesis 4, after Cain had sinned by murdering Abel, it says in verse 16, it says, and Cain went out from the panim, the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Again, sin separates us from the panim, or the presence of God. So in Genesis 3, 8 and 4, 16, we find that panim means, on your worksheet, presence. There are many other uh, more references in the old. There's a whole bunch of references to panim, which all point the idea of face meaning presence, essence, and habitation. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy panim, presence, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There is fullness of joy in his panim. Then in Genesis 6.11, I didn't give you these. Don't panic. <laughs> Genesis 6.11, Genesis 7, 1, 10.9, 13.9, 17.8. You can look those up later, but you'll find that word panim again, and it means before him. Before him. So when someone comes before you, they are coming into your presence. Makes sense. So I think that, yeah, that's on your worksheet. So now if we jump over to the New Testament, in the New Testament, the Greek word is prosopone, and I'm going to spell that. P-R-O-S-O-P-O-N. And if you could use it seven times in the next week, that would be great. You'll never forget it. Prosopone. John 1 and 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus dwelt among us. We were in the prosopone, in the presence of God. We were able to look upon the prosopone, the face of God. It says, we beheld his glory. That word glory is uh, many times associated with that word, prosopone, which makes sense, right? Glory and presence makes sense. If you go back to Exodus, remember in Exodus 33, Moses asked to see the face of God, and God tells him, no man can see my face. No man can see my face. So he places Moses in the cleft of the rock, and it says uh, that he will show him his backside. And in verse 22, it says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So in that verse... In verse 22 of Exodus 33, it says, when my glory passes by, and then at the end of that verse it says, until I have passed by. Do you see? The two are the same. When he passes by, his glory passes by. When his presence passes by, his glory passes by. That's how you can make that presence, glory, essence before him. Then in Luke 9, you have the transfiguration. And as Peter, James, and John are seeing Jesus in his glorified form, flanked by Moses and Elijah, he says in verse 32 of Luke 9, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. So here again we see that idea of glory and presence being synonymous in the same place. What were they beholding? In Jesus, they saw the divinity shining through the humanity. They saw the presence of God, the prosopone of divinity shining through the humanity of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, prosopone to prosopone. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. This verse right here is the true meaning of seeking his face. Paul says, one day I will see him, prosopone to prosopone, face to face, and I will fully know him, that's on your worksheet, know him as he knows me. So as we get into God's presence, do we not get to know him more? Right? 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all, with open face, panim, prosopone, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus is coming for his bride. And we will one day see him face to face. We will be in the fullness of his panim, his presence. Right? But until then, we move from glory to glory. Right? 
from one level of presence to a deeper level of presence. This is what we call on your worksheet progressive revelation. I think of that day when, back in the biblical times, the bride would wear the veil, and she would wear it, and then on that marriage date, right, she only sees the groom, right, through the veil. It's not completely clear, but then on that day, the groom lifts the veil, right? It's the same imagery here. We move from glory to glory. Um, we, we move from progressive revelation to revelation. But one day we will see him face to face. The veil will be lifted, right? And we will see him as he is. And we will know him as he knows us. That whole concept of presence and essence and being before him, that's the one thing. Presence. Because there's a lot that goes into that. But presence, that's the one thing. It's focused, it's a focused, determined pursuit to be in God's presence. It is to be in a place where distractions are removed. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Where the many things are paused so that I can seek the face of God, so I can get into his panim, into his presence. And it's in his presence that I can know him at a deeper level. It's in his presence I can bask in an atmosphere of pure joy, peace, love, grace, and forgiveness. I love the title that Tommy Tenney gave his book that was written so many years ago, The God Chasers. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be, right? We're trying to get into that presence. We're chasing to know God more. We want to know his essence. We want to be in that environment. That is the one thing that we must pursue, not only individually, but as a church. Not only individually, but as a church family, we pursue together. That's why family prayer and corporate prayer is so important. We do it together. This was the point that Jesus was trying to make with Martha. The many things, though they are needful, though they must be done, though they are an important part of the kingdom, the many things will never satisfy your soul. The many things will never nourish the inner man. They take and they take. Give me, can I get an amen? They take and they take and they take and you don't get anything in return. When we put the many things first, when we make those our priority, they leave no room for the one thing that really matters. Ooh, amen. And that's the point that Jesus was making to Martha. Watch this on your worksheets. When we get the many things ahead of the one thing, the many things choke out the one thing in our life that is necessary. But when we put the one thing first, 
it empowers the many things that we do. When we put, I'm not looking for reaction, I just think it's good. When we put the one thing first, it empowers the rest of your day. The one thing that really matters is spending time in the presence of Jesus. The one thing that really matters is spiritual refreshing. The one thing that really matters is divine direction. The one thing that really matters is holy anointing. The one thing that we need above everything else in our life is to spend time in the presence of God. That one thing empowers everything else. When we get that one thing right, the many things fall into their proper place. When we get that one thing right, everything else falls into place. We can't afford to get our priorities out of order. When we get the one thing right, the abiding peace of his presence overflows into the many, many things. When we get the one thing right, the joy of being with him overflows into the mundane duty of the many things in our life. The many things must be subordinate to the one thing in our lives that really matters. All of the other things we do around the church depend on the one thing to make them effective. The power, the anointing, the ability to be led by the Spirit, all of it relies on the one thing. The point is not that the many things should be neglected. The point is we cannot afford to neglect the one thing. Martha's main problem was that she felt responsible for making it all come together. She's troubled with the many things because they represent to her the things that she can do. She sees the need, and she's doing her best in her human effort to satisfy the need. She really thinks that without her effort, the job will not get done. The many things are not God's method. They are our method. God's method is people. Hear me now. God doesn't use a song. God uses a singer or a musician. God doesn't use a Sunday school lesson. God uses a teacher. God doesn't use a sermon. He uses a preacher. God uses people, and people become usable to God when they pursue the one thing that is needed. The power isn't in the many things you do. The power is in the life that is submitted to God. The power is in the life that is anointed by God. The power flows from having been in his presence. Amen. The power flows from being in his presence. The one thing isn't just the isn't just the most important thing. It is the vital necessary element that makes everything else work. 
Let me finish with this. Jesus said, Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary chose the one thing. That tells me in the eyes of Jesus, Martha had a choice. Sure, the many things needed to be done, but Martha could have chosen to put the one thing first. She could have taken the time to sit at the feet of the master alongside Mary and listen and learn and be refreshed in her spirit. And then, after her time with the master, she could have accomplished the many things that needed to be done with the assistance of her sister. The difference is that she had chosen the one thing first. Had she chosen the one thing first, she would have accomplished the many things. But they wouldn't have been nearly the burden and trouble to her soul that they became when she put them first. If we don't get anything else right, my friends, we got to get this right. We have to get this right. We cannot operate without the one thing. Nothing in this church is more important than prayer. Nothing matters more than spending time with Jesus. Nothing matters more than being in his presence. That's where the power is. That's where the anointing is. That's where the blessings of heaven flow from. When we pray and we get into presence, then everything is transformed. That's why this weekend matters so much. Because this is a weekend where we get the tools that help us get into presence, right? When we read our word, do we feel the presence of God? When we pray, do we feel the presence of God? When we fast, outside of a grumbling stomach, do we feel the presence of God? Absolutely. We're going to talk about all those things Saturday. How do we do it better? Everybody's at a different spot in their walk, right? Some stuff we know, some, some we may not, but there'll be something for everyone. But this is the one thing. We have to get this right. Doesn't matter what you've done back then. You have tools, now it's time to get into his presence, to get into his essence, to get into that, that glory cloud, to get into that place where your life is just transformed, where you can speak things and they happen, right? It's, it, 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 it makes me think of, you know, you, you, so I can tell you that when my wife is doing her prayer time in the bedroom there, and she comes out, it's just different. She's got this glow. There's just something different. And I watch her go through her day. And it's just, I'm not saying it's perfect, but there's just a calm, there's a peace. 
That's what happens when you put the one thing first, right? You prioritize. You're going to get all that this weekend. I, I'm beating it to death, but I'm telling you, this, this, is, this is where it starts. It starts there, and then everything comes from that. The one thing, getting in the precious presence of Jesus is the most important thing we can do. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we love you so much. You are a life-changing God. But you are a God that, whose ways are, are just so beyond us, whose thoughts are so beyond us. But God, we want to know you better. We want to continually grow closer to you. We want to move from glory to glory. God, we want to know you like you know us. God, we want to constantly, God, feel your presence because everything else falls into place as a result of that. So, God, I'm asking for those in the sound of my voice, for this church, God, I ask, God, God, that you would make yourself known as we come to you, God, both individually and as a church, God. Let your presence be known in a powerful way. Help us, God. Help us to keep the one thing in focus. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church says, amen. You are dismissed.